verse 17 and read through verse 26. That's Acts chapter 3, beginning in verse 17 and continuing through verse 26. If you're using the Pew Bible, that's page 856. Those verses should also be projected behind me. Hear the word of the Lord. Peter said, and in the last days it shall be, God declares that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. And your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. And your young men shall see visions. And your old men shall dream dreams. Even on my male servants and female servants, in those days I will pour out my spirit and they shall prophesy. And I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and vapor and smoke. The sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the day of the Lord comes, the great and magnificent day. And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth. A man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves know, this Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible. I just realized I've been reading from chapter two this whole time. I was like, that doesn't feel right. That's a pretty big mistake. We're gonna start over. All right. I was like, this does not, this is not what I prepared for. Those pages are important. All right, I apologize. That somebody needed to hear that today. Somebody in here needed to hear those verses. So, all right, chapter three, verse 17. Jackie is can now be on where I am, which is where I was supposed to be the whole time. And now, brothers, I know that you acted in ignorance, as did also your rulers. But what God foretold by the mouth of all the prophets that his Christ would suffer, he thus fulfilled. Repent, therefore, and turn back, that your sins may be blotted out, that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord and that he may send the Christ appointed for you, Jesus, whom heaven must receive until the time for restoring all things about which God spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets long ago. Moses said, the Lord will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brothers. You shall listen to him in whatever he tells you, and it shall be that every soul who does not listen to that prophet shall be destroyed from the people. And all the prophets who have spoken from Samuel and those who came after him also proclaimed these days. You are the sons of the prophets and of the covenant that God made with your fathers, saying to Abraham, and in your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. God, having raised up his servant, sent him to you first to bless you by turning every one of you from your wickedness. Amen. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of the Lord remains forever, even when we are incompetent. In these verses, 
Peter points out that Jesus is a prophet. The Bible talks about Jesus as having three main functions or roles. He is a prophet. He is a priest. He is a king. Throughout the Old Testament, the importance of each of these functions is weaved into the narrative. David is the king that is held up as the gold standard. Elijah is the prophet that is most memorable. The priestly role is not exemplified by one particular person in the Old Testament, but is nonetheless important. In addition to these roles being highlighted in the narrative, there are prophecies that look forward to a future time when a king will return to rule, a prophet will speak the truth again, and a priest will lead worship with a pure heart. Isaiah 23, 5 and 6 looks forward to a new king. It says, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will raise up for David a righteous branch. And he shall reign as king and deal wisely and shall execute justice and righteousness in the land. In his days, Judah will be saved and Israel will dwell securely. And this is the name by which he will be called. The Lord is our righteousness. In Moses' final sermon to the people of Israel, he lets them know a future prophet is coming when he says, The Lord will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you. From your brothers, it is to him you shall listen. Adding a couple of verses later, I will raise up for them a prophet like you from among their brothers, and I will put my words in his mouth, and he shall speak to them all that I command him. These proclamations from God through Moses are what Peter was quoting in the verses we read today. In 1 Samuel 2.35, God also speaks of a faithful priest who will do according to what is in the mind and the heart. Of these three roles, prophet, priest, and king, the latter two get focused on more when we talk about Jesus today. While Jesus' prophetic role doesn't get as much attention, In Jesus' priestly role, he acts as an intermediary for us. This is what priests do. It is their basic function. They stand between God and the people that lack the sufficient holiness to come into God's presence. That's what we'll look at next week. Jesus as the priest. Jesus fulfills the role of king by reigning. It is not unusual to hear Jesus spoken about as Lord. He sits upon the throne. When it comes to being the prophet, there is less awareness among Christians of how this is something that Jesus does. 
we know what a prophet is, or at least we think we do. It is not clear what Jesus being a prophet means for us personally in the same way it is clear what it means that he is a priest and a king. Now is probably a good time to talk about what a prophet does. Part of the problem with understanding Jesus' role as prophet is that our understanding of prophets in general is lacking. When we use the word prophet, we use it to describe someone who can accurately predict the future. I searched for the word prophet on Google News to see how the word is commonly used, and two recent headlines popped up that are good examples. The New York Times had an article recently titled, COVID didn't kill cities. Why was prophecy so alluring? The Guardian had a headline which read, Idiocracy, a disturbingly prophetic look at the future of America and our era of stupidity. Now, even if you don't know about the movie Idiocracy or the predictions that were made about how COVID would affect cities, you still have no trouble grasping how the words prophecy and prophetic are being used in these headlines. Saying someone is a prophet means they predict the future. While it is true in the Bible that prophets often have a God-given insight into the future, this is actually not their primary function. Our definition of what a prophet does is incomplete. To understand what the Bible means when it says Jesus was a prophet, we have to grasp the biblical role more fully. The role of prophet was well established throughout the Old Testament. The people of Israel had made a series of covenants or agreements with God. These covenants are unbreakable contracts. If the covenant is broken by either party, the consequences are severe. Covenants were sealed with sacrificial offerings, partially to indicate that if the covenant itself was broken, the blood of lambs and cattle would not be the only blood that watered the ground. Israel repeatedly broke the covenants it made with God through idolatry and injustice. A prophet's main job is to call the people that have made an agreement with God back to covenantal faithfulness. Prophets acted on God's behalf. Basically, a prophet is God's lawyer. In our modern world, when a contract is broken between two businesses or individuals, one of the parties involved will get a lawyer to bring a lawsuit against the other party. 
The lawyer's job is to communicate through the lawsuit their client's demands that the other party follow through on the contract that was mutually agreed upon previously. If those being sued agree to abide by the agreement already in place, there can be peace moving forward. If not, then there will be consequences. When a prophet lets the people know they are prophesying to what will happen in the future, they're letting them know the consequences God will bring about if they don't live up to the terms of the covenant they have made. For a prophet, predicting the future has a very specific purpose. That purpose is that the people being prophesied to will change the way they are living. In Jesus' prophetic role, he is acting as a lawyer on God's behalf. He's calling every person to live out the requirements of the covenantal relationship they are in with God. At some point, some of you might say, but wait a second, I never made any covenant with God. I don't owe God anything. He can't sue me. God would disagree. Your very existence, the existence of every person means you are in a covenantal relationship with God. God created man for covenantal relationship. From the beginning, there were expectations for every person. God communicated these expectations to different people to varying extents. Not everyone has the same level of awareness, but everyone has some level of awareness. The first chapters of Romans explore what every individual person's covenantal responsibility to God is. The Jews had a very high level of responsibility. God had communicated to them extensively through the law. God had promised, they had promised God to do what he asked of them. They had failed. Non-Jews did not have the same amount of specificity. Nonetheless, Paul writes in Romans, what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived. Ever since the creation of the world and the things that have been made, so they are without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened, claiming to be wise. They became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Non-Jews did no better 
than Jews fulfilling the more general covenantal obligations all people exist under. Jews failed specifically. Non-Jews failed generally. One form of failure isn't better than the other. Jesus, in his prophetic role, is acting as God's lawyer, making it clear to all people that they are in breach of their covenant with God. When someone is accused of something in a legal setting, they can respond in two basic ways. The first is they can try to defend themselves. One defense strategy is to claim innocence. Many people respond to God in this way. They claim they have done nothing wrong. They ask for some proof or evidence. Jesus, in his prophetic role, has all the proof he needs if a person wants to deny they have done anything wrong. He knows all our actions. Even more, he knows the thoughts of our hearts. Another defense tactic in an effort to deny guilt would be to claim extenuating circumstances. People blame others. They blame the world. Some people even blame God himself for their being in breach of God's covenant. God certainly recognizes extenuating circumstances, but the defiance of God every person is guilty of cannot be excused in this way. Those that are really desperate might attempt a legal Hail Mary. They might say, well, I didn't know what was going on. It's a, it's a defense of insanity. For an insanity defense to succeed, the person just doesn't just have to be psychologically sick. They have to be incapable of telling the difference between right and wrong at the time they committed their crime. The covenantal failures all humans have committed is not one isolated act. It is a lifestyle of defiance. We cannot claim that we did not know the difference between right and wrong. The second option for those that Jesus is prophetically accusing of falling short of their covenantal obligations throughout his teaching is to throw themselves on the mercy of the courts. In a normal court of law, there are those that recognize their guilt. They do not try to fight the charges being brought against them. They realize any attempt to do so is pointless. When someone throws themselves on the mercy of the court, their future is totally in the hands of that court. Guilty people that won't stop doing what they shouldn't ever have done in the first place don't receive mercy just because they acknowledge they got caught red-handed. 
Imagine you're watching the news and you see one of those videos that sometimes pops up of some criminal flying down the interstate as a pack of police officers chase after them. And you see the police car come up behind the, the criminal's car and hit it in the side and spin it off the road. Now, fast forward a few months and imagine seeing that same criminal in the courthouse and then saying, I admit I got caught, but I have no plans of living my life any differently. In that case, the court isn't going to extend any mercy. The implication of throwing yourself on the mercy of the court, it's, it's assumed, it's implied that you plan on living differently, moving forward. If the thief says, instead, I have messed up. I don't want to live this way anymore. I'm a disappointment to myself and my family then he will be shown mercy. This just makes sense. Mercy is given to a repentant person in the hopes that they will follow through and change for the better. Repentance and mercy go hand in hand. God sent Jesus as a prophet to help us see our need for repentance. God did not want us to be ignorant of the ways we have fallen short. One time I was driving down the road and I got pulled over for speeding. I think I was going 70. So when the officer came up to me, he said, you know, they say, how fast were you going? I said, oh, I was going 70. And then he said, do you know what the speed limit is? And I said, well, I think the speed limit's 70. And he said, no, it's 55. I was like, yeah, my bad. And he wrote me a ticket and he walked away, right? Because ignorance of the law is no excuse for breaking it. Thomas Jefferson said, if it were, the laws would lose their effect because it can always be pretended. In today's verses from Acts, Peter is preaching to a crowd that has broken God's covenant with him in horrific ways. He makes it clear their ignorance is no excuse. Their ignorance can't save them. Neither can it save any other person. To experience mercy, we need to quit pleading ignorance. We need to quit making excuses. We need to repent, otherwise we have no hope. For Christians, repentance is not a one-time thing. Our relationship with God is restored through a merciful response to our repentance. Unfortunately, we continue to mess up. We continue to not live within the bounds of the covenant God has established with us. Part of the good news for us is that God's mercy 
expressed through Jesus is never exhausted by our shortcomings. His mercy saves us from our brokenness, both in a one-time salvific way and in an ongoing way, but we need to repent. In Jesus' prophetic role, he is a blessing to all who listen. In verse 26 of today's passage, Peter says to the crowd, God, having raised up his servant, sent him to you first to bless you by turning every one of you from your wickedness. Living outside the covenant relationship God designed us for in wickedness is not a good way to live. There is no long-term peace in it. The satisfaction we find in it is fleeting at best. We are blessed by turning to God in repentance. In God, we find the hope, love, and peace that is available nowhere else. Jesus identifying our shortcomings like a lawyer acting on God's behalf is a blessing to us when it causes us to live within the covenantal relationship we were made for. I think part of the reason we struggle to think of Jesus as a prophet is that we have negative associations with the word. We think of prophets as angry dudes that are always yelling about something. We don't think of Jesus this way, which is fair enough. We should remember a prophet's role is to restore a person or people to good standing in their covenant relationship with God. That is what Jesus is trying to do for us. He sees how we have fallen short. Quit making excuses. And instead, throw ourselves at the mercy of the court in repentance. He points out our shortcomings so we can repent. The challenge for each of us today is to listen to Jesus as he speaks prophetically through the Holy Spirit in our lives. There are those here who have never experienced any of God's mercy because they have never repented. Perhaps unknowingly, they are following a path of defiance in relation to God. The results of this path are bad. If that describes you, Jesus is saying you need to repent, not of an individual act but of a whole way of being that denies God with every futile thought. There are also those here who have repented in response to their knowledge of what Jesus has said. However, wicked thoughts and patterns of behavior have crept back into their daily routines. They are Christians, but they are chronically break their covenant relationship with God through the decisions they make. We all need to repent. 
Repentance is not a one-time act or even a periodic one. It is an ongoing practice for all Christians. The more we listen to Jesus' prophetic words in our lives, the more we will experience the blessings of the covenant relationship God has made us for. Let's pray. Dear Lord, I thank you that Jesus came into this world to speak truth, to let people know the ways in which we have fallen short. We thank you that Jesus still speaks truth, that he still points out to us our shortcomings, not so that we can feel shame, but so that we can recognize our guilt, so that we can repent, so that we can experience the blessings that come with a restored fellowship with God our Father. Dear Lord, I pray for any in this room, for all of us in this room, as we have areas of our life where we need to have truth spoken to us, areas where we defy God in our thoughts and actions. I pray through Christ you would expose those areas to us, that the Holy Spirit would work in our hearts and minds, and that we would repent of those behaviors, Lord. And I pray for any in this room that have never repented before, that they would, they would do so, that they would come to a saving knowledge of you. I ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.